Welcome to the podcast to be named later, where we explore the world a conversation at a time. Sit back and enjoy. Here are your hosts, Chris and Kelly. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the podcast to be named later. We're sitting at a table together, Chris, my co-host, and I, along with Amy and my brother, Craig. Sometimes real life comes into our virtual worlds, and we're together today due to a family event where a niece, a cousin, and an all-around great individual was killed a week ago, uh, Madison Kendall Kerber. Before we get into the podcast, I've asked my brother Craig to say a few words about Madison. Uh, what I'd like to say here is uh, just a little bit about Madison. She was my niece. Um, and the world lost a beautiful soul when Madison Kendall Kerber, only 22 years of kill, last week. Madison was born in August of 2000. She was the daughter of Majorca Ford Ziegelbauer and Adam Kerber. She was also a graduate of Keele High School with the class of 2018, and most recently a graduate of Carroll University in 2022 with her bachelor's degree in exercise and a minor in psychology. She was proud of her time at Carroll and making memories with her college roommates. Madison found, found her knack for the future during her summer internship at the YMCA where she assisted the elderly with exercise programs to help them cope with their Parkinson's disease. Taking care of others brought her so much joy. She worked for many years at the Allstock and was proud of her accomplishments while there. She also made many connections as a bartender, and those connections were very special to her. Madison played soccer from the time she was in kindergarten until her junior year of high school. She also played for a club volleyball team for three years, continuing throughout high school, and received honorable mention, all-conference her senior year. Madison always finding a way to stay active and connect with others, especially if it meant being outside. When the sun was out, she could be found at the beach by the cottage or by a pond, and of course, music was playing. She loved to listen to all genres of music, but we all know her favorites are too inappropriate to list. Madison's love of music was evident by her concert attendance. When the weather wasn't cooperating, she wouldn't pass up an opportunity to learn a new card game or put a puzzle together with mom. The most important part of Madison's life was her family and friends. And I'll close with Kachow. Rest in peace, Madison Kendall Kerber. There's never a good way to transition, but in celebration of Madison's life and memory, we know that Madison was an outdoor enthusiast, travel lover, and an all-around energetic young lady. Amy has exhibited many of those characteristics in her love for travel, and Amy just returned a few weeks ago from her latest adventure, a trip to Algeria. So we wanted to talk about that. And Chris, it's nice to have you by my side instead of over the virtual wires. Yeah, it's good to see you with my, my eyes, buddy, and be next to you sitting at a table. So, uh, Amy, welcome back from Algeria, and uh, we'd love to hear a little bit more and learn about that trip. So, Amy and Chris, take it away. Well, thank you for having me back on the podcast. <laughs> I, uh, I t- I'll tell you, Amy, sitting across, we were talking a little bit earlier uh before uh before we started recording this and um talking about some of the other trips you've, you've taken I, I know you've well actually i was curious i never got a chance to ask you uh do you know how many trips you've been on outside of the united states i want to say i've been into about 30 or 30-ish countries something like that 
Wow. Uh, That's not really all that ex- that extraordinary. Um, I've met many people who've been to more countries, and there are a group of people who are looking to uh, achieve what they call the 193 or the 193 countries that are recognized by the UN. Um, so there are people who are really uh, hardcore travelers out there who are really looking to explore the world. I tend to be a kind of person who, um, you know, I sure it'd be great to see all places, but we don't have time or money necessarily for all of that. But so I want, I tend to be the kind of person who wants to maybe take a deeper dive into some areas or some places. And that's usually, that's kind of my style. So no aspirations of 193 for you? That's not important <laughs> to me. Yeah. No. What, what is important? Like when, what, what is your purpose of your travel when, when you're going, like what's your focus? What are you hoping to accomplish? You know? Well, I like to see, I like to see the places for myself, but I, I think I also want to get a sense of the culture of the place, I get a, to get a, another sense of, I get a sense of history um, of the place. We, when we, in growing up in our history and geography classes, we didn't really, when you think about what we learned about other countries, it really wasn't a whole lot. Um, it's very focused on the U.S. And, and, to, and I understand that to a big degree, but the fact of the matter is we are part of the world, we are not the world. And so uh, to be able to go and see things for myself and not have it curated by the news or by other special interests is uh, more my thing. Yeah, and, and uh, it's, it's nice, man. I mean, we all, we all have uh, various friends from, from um, different backgrounds, and uh, we all see the world a little bit differently, even, even within uh, your, your own home. You know, you, you and Kelly are going to have different perspectives and, and have uh, different upbringings, and while there might be a lot of overlap, um, there's also a lot of differences. And then as, as you venture further and further out, obviously those differences are, are uh, they grow bigger and bigger and bigger. And, and uh, um, it's nice for own, your own personal growth to see things for, you know, how, how other people live, what are their priorities, right. how do they interact with each other, what some of the cultural differences. And of course, it's also fun to see what kind of food they've got and to get to try that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I know uh, um, from, you know, Past, past experiences, you've always been very adventurous uh, with food. So Yeah, and if you look at me, you know that I like food. Yeah, yeah. well, not just, I mean, I, all of us, you know, I, I think most people enjoy it, but you have a, a definite um, uh, like curiosity and, and just a natural, like, hey, I want to try new things. And I think, I think you hit that on the head, Chris, that I happen to be a curious person. I like to explore and try new things. I mean, obviously not everything, but, you know, I am open to kind of that sense of adventure and, pu- and trying to push my comfort zones is very important. I think that's really how we grow. Hey, so on that, on that subject, well, give, me a, give me a dish or, a, or an item in your travels that like, oh my goodness, I can't believe I've never had this before. This is amazing. Um, well, I think that uh, I, I've enjoyed uh, food from different countries. I, I enjoyed the food when I went to Thailand, for example. In Algeria, I, you know what, um, I have to say that when I had some meat dishes, the meat was cooked perfectly tender. Um, I had beef, I had uh, sheep. Uh, in fact, I have to chuckle in Algeria. Um, you know, they're definitely not set up for tourism. Uh, they're, you know, this is what you get. You'll order chicken, you get beef or goat or something. But, you know, it was delicious. <laughs> have you, uh, so you, so you taken many, many trips, gone out, tried different foods. Uh, sorry, I, you got me, you, you hit a, a chord with the food because awesome. I also love food and, awesome. and uh, I, I love trying new things. Like, I think most people like food, so that's a safe thing to talk about. Uh, when you come back, do you go out and try and hunt down? So so you went to Thailand, do you come back and try and find a, a Thai restaurant to see like, hey, how it matches up? Or? Well, I've, I've tried, I tried Thai food before I went to Thailand and um and I've had some Thai food uh, that was that could definitely was on point or even better than I had had in Thailand. But in this area where I'm living, I'd say in general, um, it's it, it could be kicked up a notch. <laughs> yeah, I imagine. Uh, so the uh, Algeria tri- trip, uh, what sparked it? Like, why why'd you pick that place? Why did I pick Algeria? So, um, and that's probably the biggest question I've been asked about Algeria because most people, when I've told them I've gone, they kind of pause and go, Algeria. Why that? You know, it's not yeah. a place you go for a typical for a holiday. But 
I was attracted when I saw some pictures on the internet of cave art. I, I love cave art and etchings and you know that sort of prehistoric stuff. And uh, I saw a picture of the horned woman, I think is what it's called, and I thought that looked really interesting. And then um, as I looked more I, and learned a little bit more about that part of the Sahara where they had rock art, I thought that was very intriguing. The other thing is during the pandemic, um, when I was sitting at home bored like everyone else was, I was exploring different genres of music on the internet and I came across across rye music, which is a, a unique form to Algeria. It's sort of a combination of Bedouin um, with some other Arabic beats and influences from other uh, cultures, but it's, uh, they talk about, it's more about social justice and um, not just social justice, but also uh, kind of themes that are not, uh, that are outside the realm of a conservative society. Hey, can we jump back for a second, Amy? Yes. Um, you mentioned a picture. Uh, tell us more about what this horned woman is or what that picture is. So it was a picture of um, a, a prehistoric cave painting of a woman uh, who had like cow horns on. Is That was a picture of that caught my attention. Do you know any more about that picture, Amy, or what it was, what we think about the, what it meant back in the time or anything, or was it just a picture? It was the picture that captured my attention. I mean, if you want to learn about it, you can, there's information online, but I think what, what sparked my interest is seeing that picture and then seeing it as part of uh, what's called the Tassili Inajer uh, National Park in uh, Algeria, which is... Uh, in the Sahara, deep in the Sahara Desert, uh, not far from the Libyan border. So this picture itself, it was in a cave? Um, I think so. And were you able to see the actual... I didn't actually see her when I was there. I saw other cave art. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yes. So... Um, I, I went out into the uh, desert with um, a team of Tuareg. Uh, I have a Tuareg guide, a driver, and a cook. Uh, so we, they loaded up this 4 by 4 and we drove out into the desert for camping for a couple nights. And so, and I don't know how they know where it is, but, you know, they've, they've lived in this, in this area for the, all their life. So they know, you know, they don't have to have roads that are marked, you know. Um, so anyway, in driving... Uh, along, uh, we stopped at a few places, and the guide would we would hike up to these rocks, and uh, he would show me uh, these various cave paintings. And a couple of times, it was a it was a rock etching uh, called the Crying Cow, which had kind of a sad story. Um, that story was uh, this apparently some Tuareg nomads. Uh, there was a drought in the desert. And they were taking their cows, looking for water, and then they got to uh, this area where they made this engraving, and um, there was absolutely no water, and so it was incredibly sad because it meant that the cows were going to die. So uh, the etching was of the of the cow with a big tear coming out of its eye. And were these paintings pretty vivid still? A lot of them were, but some of them, um, that's a great question, some of them were starting to fade, and the guide said that uh, even five years ago they were vivid, but because of the effects of climate change and such, that was having a, taking a toll on some of the rock paintings. Well, thank, thanks for giving us a little bit more explanation. Uh, Chris, back to you. Uh, so, hey, so we talked a little bit uh, previously, and um, has, has this always been like an interest of yours? I mean, dating back to, you know, childhood or like, is this something that... You know, I remember being like about three years old and my, my favorite books were, was this encyclopedia set that my parents had. So I would page through them and, you know, I was just that fascinated with terrible. That. <laughs> <laughs> well, I... <laughs> I liked it, but I remember seeing uh, the entry on China and seeing a, a young girl there, and I thought, she, I thought, oh wow, there, she, she's a young girl, kind of like me, and you know, kind of learning to read about the country, and I, I, I think that 
even from a young age, I was interested in other countries. But I really didn't start traveling until I was in my late 20s because of the time, money, yeah. um, conundrum. Yeah, and that's, uh, yeah, it's just a constant... <laughs> You know, you, when you got the time, you generally don't have the money. And that was and that was the case uh, for a while, yeah, in my life. And I mean, I'm lucky that that's balanced out more, but um, that definitely does get in the way. Yeah, and, and uh, I mean, it's just impressive to me. So I have uh, um, also interest in other like cultures and people. I, I just I love points of view. I, that's why I love conversations because yes. right. I just understand that. Um, I learned certain things in my life. I was raised by my parents in, in this city or cities. And right. So this is all I know. This is what I've been right. fed over the course of my life. And I also know, as you kind of alluded to earlier, um, you know, our media, there's an agenda oftentimes attached. Or like if you're in a history class, they only have, you know, an hour a day for a semester to teach you about world history or U.S. Right. history. Right, and that's curated by a school board. And, yes. Right. And so it basically, uh, I understand there's a lot out there that I don't know. And, I, <laughs> and, I, and I'm curious, you know, mm -hmm. and uh, I think for me, I, I, you know, the, I, the, uh, the knowledge you were gaining from the encyclopedia, so this isn't the terrible part. The terrible part is like reading the encyclopedia. I, I don't... Uh, I mean, I can read perfectly fine and everything, but I don't retain as well. Um, for me personally... Well, neither do I. I mean, welcome to aging. But <laughs> No, but I, I mean, I, I thought it was kind of... Here, as a little girl, that's one of the things that I learned to read was with the encyclopedia. And uh, the conversations, I, I think, you can get so much more out of a conversation. Or at least for me, any pers mm -hmm. anyway, personally. And I retain more, and that's... that's uh, you know, the experiences you have when you travel, um, they're real life firsthand experience. You know, they're, they're not altered. They're not curated. Now, obviously, you know, you're at the mercy of the time that, that when you're there and everything, right. you, you can't get all the history. You're there for, you know, week, two weeks, whatever. whatever. How long are your trips actually, generally? Um, two to three weeks. Okay. So quite a bit of time to a fair amount be able to, to explore around. At least get, you know, get, you know, a, a good picture or get a sense of what's going on yeah i'm curious uh, uh how involved is it so you're gonna go on with these trips to me it feels like a giant deal right now i know you've done a bunch of them it's probably become a little more old hat to you but do you how much do you map out ahead of time like how, how do you, you well know? there are different travelers there are some people who kind of like to do things on the fly or are more spontaneous um and then there, you've got the other end of the spectrum where people are have every minute planned it, which is way too restrictive. So I, I try to find a balance. Uh, and I mean, it, it also depends on what happens during your trip. Like if you get sick, for example, or um, if there's an emergency. Um, I, I, I'm someone who likes to have, I mean, I would say for me, definitely, um, I have to have the first couple of days planned out because, you know, I need some time to get my bearings and to, um, you know, just uh, get ready for the next leg of, you know, of the journey and, you know, get acclimated to where I'm at, for example. I generally tend to be more of a planner. Amy, you talked about planning out your first couple of days, but the thing that I've always found curious is for the different countries you've gone to, I mean, you've found different ways to get around and things. And Algeria, I think, was kind of a new experience where you were kind of a solo traveler, but with a someone who helped you map it out in the country and things. Tell me a little more about how you found that company and such. Well, first, uh, you remember, Kelly, when we went to India, we, we traveled together and we actually did go with a company that we worked with to map things out and had a car and driver. So we, so you've had that experience with me, even though that's been a while. But you're right. Um, this has been the first time in, since then that I had that experience of hiring you know, a company on my own and, and working with them directly uh, when I explained what my, what the things were important to me. And then uh, they helped with me to craft uh, an agenda that worked well. Um, I went with Algeria 16 Tours and <clears throat> it was important to me to pick a company that was Algerian based because I wanted to make sure that my monies uh, were spent in Algeria as much as possible and 
benefited a local company and, and local people as much as possible as opposed to um, they have travel companies that are based like in the UK or other places and they would be this they would be getting the money so that's one reason why I chose that company the other reason is the CEO whose name is Wasim a great guy uh, he is someone who is a world traveler himself he's on a quest to complete the 193 but as a traveler, he understands the end user experience. And so he is mindful of setting things up and, and kind of knowing what, you know, having a good way to explore what's, what's important to someone and craft uh, an agenda and try to get those experiences in as much as possible. It's not always possible, obviously, but at least uh, gives you an opportunity to try. When I went to Algeria, uh, Eid had just ended, that's, uh, or Eid had just ended, yeah, that was, so Eid is the end of Ramadan, which is the month-long fasting in the Muslim world, and so Eid is when they, you know, it's like, at the, it's like the end of Lent for Christians, if you will, and so um, the country was still coming up to speed with getting back on track. And I, I mean, that was one thing I learned when I was there. I thought, okay, well, I'm going to be there a few days after Eid, so things will be back up and running, because that's what I would, I think happens, you know, in a lot of countries. It would probably be that way in the U.S. You know, there, the U.S. is not going to uh, waste time trying to make money and get the gears back rolling. Well, in Algeria, it's a little bit different. They have a different pace, and so some things were took a little bit more time to get back and running, and... That's not a criticism, it's just the way things are there. Speaking of pace and, you know, to jump around a little bit, when you were out driving in the desert, I mean, what, what, give us a sense, what's that like? I mean, obviously the GPS isn't saying take a right at the third big rock. What well, is, what? <laughs> <laughs> no, well, remember, I'm not the one who's driving. But uh, what was I that had... like just to be moving around in the desert? I mean, there's no roads, so... No, there's no roads. I mean, and the... The driver and the guide and the cook, they all, they grew up in this area. They know this area like the back of their hands. So I never felt like we were ending up in the middle of nowhere with no uh, means of communication. I think it was just very relaxing in, in some respects just to be traveling along and just kind of moving with the pace. One thing that they do in the desert, and I think some people may understand this, and but I know not everyone does, is because it gets hot in the midday, it's very common to take a siesta, like there is in, in other countries where it gets hot midday. And so just to relax and um, you know, take some shelter. And that's also appropriate for the car because you know, those four by fours, I mean, they can heat up, you know, in, especially in the middle of the day. So letting the engine cool off is also important. I was curious, uh... If you talked about heat up, you said something a while back um, when you were talking about uh, getting acclimated. You know, you give yourself a couple days just to kind of get your bearings, and um, it struck a chord with me. So when you were talking about heating, heating up, it just hit me again. So you know, in the traveling, uh, I travel just within the United States, and uh, um, I notice, you know, I may be in a humid. Um, you know, hot, humid climate on Monday mm -hmm. and by Thursday, um, in like a, you know, dry, arid climate. And I noticed like physically, I feel it, you know, right. jumping from climate to climate. Mm -hmm. Now you're talking about, you know, whole different countries. I'm, I'm traveling like, you know, a few hundred miles. You're, you're traveling thousands. Have you noticed like, as you go to new places, like it affects you differently and in, in like just a physical acclimation that it, it that can, takes. it can. Like for example, before I went to Algeria, I stopped in England for a few days. Now England's spring is a lot like the spring in the Pacific Northwest. Um, it's much damper uh, and a little chillier than it is here in the spring in Wisconsin. I mean, it can be chilly here in, in spring, but it's not a damp, it's not a damp chill. Uh, so, Re, so reacclimating to that, and then going to Algeria, Algiers, where it's seventy degrees and sunny and just gorgeous. Uh, I, that was very easy to acclimate to. Um, <laughs> it, yeah, so, but I'm. But that was so getting adjusted to some of the chill. Or for example, on the other end, if you go to like when I went to Vietnam, that was hot. 
you know, in October, at the time we were living in Seattle, it, it's mild temperatures. And then you go to Ho Chi Minh City and it's just hot and humid <laughs> and miserable. Yeah. So, you, Amy, you talked a little bit about, I mean, even there, you talked about 70 degrees in Algiers and then you're off in the desert. Give us a little bit more of a sense of the different climates and kind of just geography you did see. Okay, so uh, most of the population lives in the north near the Mediterranean, which isn't surprising since that's, a, a, you know, where you've got more jobs, more ports, access to food. Um, there's a breadbasket uh, kind of that's in, in the neck of that, of Algeria. Algeria is sort of a wedge-shaped uh, nation. So, like I said, most of the people live in the north. So, in the Mediterranean climate, it's going to be warm in the summer, uh, very warm in the summer, a beautiful spring and fall. I think that their uh, winters are a little bit chilly, but they're not like uh, here in the like Midwest. Like Wisconsin? No, no, Not no. many places are. No. Um, <laughs> but, you know, in, in Algeria, you've got mountains, and so they have that climate. Uh, the, the desert, uh, where it gets really hot during the day, and it can get, it can get cool at night. When I was there, I didn't find the desert was the desert was not cold at night, at least to me, but it can be. Um, so, Algeria is about three times the size of Texas, just so that you okay. uh, have a perspective. And and that kind of and that's another point I like to make is that when we look at world maps, a lot of times uh, the type of map that's world map that's used uh, makes Africa. The African continent look a lot smaller than it is. Africa, um, the African continent is big enough to have like three United States, uh, China, maybe Canada, Europe, and all in all in that. So it's it's a huge continent. Uh, and like I said, Algeria, which is the largest country in Africa right now, is about three times the size of Texas. So it's it's a good sized country. Most of it is desert. And so you said when you were in the desert, you didn't find that it got very cold, but I recall you said it did get quite windy. Oh yeah, there was a. It, there are times when there's windstorms. Um, what was that like? Sleeping in a <laughs> tent, I believe you slept. Yes, in. yes. So, um, so it was a. It, the day was fine. It was it was a normal day, uh, and then at, at, in the evening, I had to take a late night flight to get back to Algiers, and so uh, we set up a tent so I could take a nap for a while until about 12.30 or 1 when they'd wake me up to take me uh, to the airport. Well, um, about 8.30, I went to go lay down, and uh, the wind started picking up, and so it's blowing sand into the tent and shaking the tent and all these howling winds. I mean, it wasn't continuous. It would it would start for a while, and then it would kind of lull, then start up again. And um, you know, I, I almost recorded it at one point, but then I thought, you know, I w really want to try and sleep. I actually managed to sleep for two hours, which I thought was amazing. But yeah, you're you're laying down. It blows some, and there's sand that comes gets on your face and other places, <laughs> and you just kind of got to laugh. And and because we're in the middle of the desert. You know, if you need to go to brush your teeth or use the restroom, um, you better make sure that that shelter you find behind uh, some of the rocks is pretty solid so that you don't get uh, sand blown wherever. <laughs> <laughs> um, you and I have been like in the uh, Arizona desert. How does the Algerian desert compare? Is it similar? Do they have saguaros? And no, or? no, no, no. Wine country. <laughs> Actually, Algeria does have, uh, they do make wine. Oh, yeah? And I never got to try it, but yes, they make wine, and that apparently is very well Everybody regarded. likes to drink. Yes. <laughs> it's well, a universal. Well, and of course, Algeria is a Muslim country, but there are places you could go to get wine. Yeah. Um, anyway, but yeah, they're, they're, they do have wine country. As far as the question about how the Algerian desert compares, uh, no, they don't have sowaros. They they have um, some oases which with palm trees. Uh, I went to two different parts of the Sahara. So I went to Tassili and Adjur National Park, which is kind of in the uh, southeastern part of Algeria. And then I went to Haraya, which is a desert community um, on, that borders the northern part of the Sahara. Um, 
and maybe I think it's a little bit of a high but belly button of the uh, of Algeria if you're looking at the country a certain way. In Ardaya, in the northern part of the Sahara Desert, you have more palm trees, and uh, the locals uh, use they, or they they have the date palms and the palm sugar. Did you try any dates? Yes, they, they were pretty sweet, but it was not in season, so I didn't bring any back. Uh, I figured that you can find the dates pretty much in most shops that are just as tasty. Can you bring those back? And like, what are, what are... You could bring them back. Uh, they, they don't have restrictions for that. You can't take more. I've heard conflicting restrictions on how much uh, Algerian dinars, which are the, is a currency, you can take. Uh, you can't take more than the equivalent of 100 US is what I've heard. And then I've heard you can't take any of it out. You know, There's no real way that they police that. But the thing is, outside of Algeria, you are not going to be able to exchange that. OK. So if you're someone who would be going back to Algeria, Probably you can keep a few on you, but if you're not going back to Algeria, you'd be SOL if you didn't have it spent or exchanged. I, I think, uh, you know, with, with regards to travel, there's like a certain level of fear of the unknown. And when you were just talking about that, that occurred to me like, I don't know what, I mean, I would assume obviously you could bring back like, you know, trinkets or, or solid objects or anything like that. But if you get into like a currency, food, you know what I mean? Those are things that wouldn't occur to me. Like, I'm not, oh, you know, actually the food, I would assume, <coughs> excuse me, um, you couldn't bring back, you know. Uh, like back dates in... and stuff? No, that's not true. What, what you would do, Chris, is before <coughs> you enter a country or leave a country, look at their entry requirements, what you can bring in and what you're, what you're allowed to bring in and what you're allowed to take out and plan accordingly. And in fact, uh, my last trip before in Ecuador, they have a restriction on how many electronics you can bring into the country. You can only bring in like one new cell phone and like an old laptop or something, but they're very strict. Otherwise, you have to pay uh, a tax on that. <coughs> Excuse me. Hello. Um, you can obviously bring out as many memories as you can uh, have from yes. the country. And that's true. I know we talked a lot about the desert, but I... Uh, several times you've talked to me about um, some of the tile work that you saw in pictures. Could you describe some of that? Yes. So Algeria has had has been colonized by uh, multiple ethnic groups throughout the centuries, and also uh, that include and they also were uh, there are also the Moorish influence. So. You see, so think of the tile work that you see in, for example, Morocco or in the Alhambra in Spain. Um, the precision of those uh, workers back in the uh, 12th, 13th century constructing some of these places, you had where you didn't have the, the work, the uh, tools these days to cut tile perfectly, but they could cut it on angle and just fit these pieces in just perfectly. It's, it's amazing. So Kelly and I have been like rapid firing questions at you and stuff, and obviously we have a, a lot of curiosity. But I was curious uh, from, from um, your takeaways and and you know your experiences. You know we've been kind of guiding the conversation a little bit, but is, are there things that uh, we've left out that you know um, you think are important to talk about? You know, with regards to the people and the culture and the, the country as a whole. I think what I would say is Algeria is, it's not a place for everyone to go because it's not set up for tourism. It doesn't mean that they, they don't want people, but I, what I respect about the country is that they may, they do things kind of on their own schedule. They may have, like I alluded to earlier, you can order the chicken and get the beef or whatever, but um, the people are very friendly and um, I think that if you're willing to, uh, if you've got some patience, some flexibility, and a sense of humor, you can, uh, it's a very rewarding place to travel to. But I would also say that I, I, I appreciate the unspoiledness of the country and, and the fact that Algeria is a country where uh, they do things on their own terms and you need to accept that. But if you're you know, okay with that, then you know you're going to have a good experience and i have to say that the people i met and i met not just people in the tourist industry but i had the opportunity to meet 
you know, regular everyday people, you know, these are just some of the friendliest people you could hope to meet and they were very welcoming and really kind. Of um, all the different dishes and things that you ate, Amy, were there things that stick out as particularly memorable as far as flavorful or unique or just things that you had not experienced as a taste or flavor before? So one thing, uh, in Algeria, a lot of the restaurants, most of them are fast food because uh, in general, most people eat at home. Uh, in fact, it's a, it's a lot of people, a lot of women take pride in being very good cooks. And so, uh, you go to fast food for like lunch or something like that, but, uh, let's, was, let's just pause on that for one second. When you say fast food, I don't think you, it's no. not like McDonald's no, or Burger no. King. In fact, thank you for, for clarifying that because they do not have any of the Western chains there. There's no KFC, no Starbucks. Uh, what? No, no. <laughs> two Campbell burgers. <laughs> um, but the, you know, they have pizza is a very uh, popular street food, for example. But the one thing that uh, stands out to me street food wise is I think it's called a garganta sandwich. Uh, it's it was this. Um, it felt like it, it looked like it was half a baguette that was cut in half, and it's filled with this um, cooked egg and mashed chickpea uh, mixture uh, that's uh, baked and that's put in the uh, baguette and is served. You can get it served with a with a harissa, which is kind of a spicy sauce, and uh, that was really tasty. Uh, other things that I had that were really tasty is I had what they call barbecue, but it's basically just little kebabs, and you can get, uh, I think I had a, what I really liked were the uh, lamb and beef ones. The chicken was good. I think I had chicken hearts. I could have had liver, but I declined. And were these at these, fat, what, what you called the fast food restaurants? Well, the fast food restaurants tend to have limited menus. Uh, so yeah, the, the, the sandwich place just had a couple of different kinds of sandwiches you could try. And I saw the one, and so I asked for it, and uh, yeah, and that's what I got. So they're all outdoor and, and kind of open, like they have obviously a cooking, you know, barbecue or a... Or a... Well, some, some of the, like the, the nicer restaurants, if you will, they're enclosed, but the uh, fast food restaurants are really open to the street, and then, you know, they close like a metal garage door when they're closed, or... Oh, okay. Yeah. But there's no drive throughs No drive throughs no. <laughs> So, um, not part of the culture. Obviously, when you were in the desert, you slept in a tent. Yes. What uh, What were some of the other accommodations like that you stayed in? And uh, could you describe a little of that? What people might expect? Well, I stayed mostly in hotels, and the hotels were all clean. Uh, some of the Some of them were uh, had nicer furnishings than others. Uh, like one hotel I stayed at in Algiers. They just uh, opened, and um, they had. Uh, I mean, the, the furnishings were modern. But what was interesting is you had is that they give you a remote control for the TV uh, when you enter. And the first day I was there, they didn't give that to me. So I'm like, okay, I'm in this room. There's a TV. There's no remote control. Uh, I could have gone to ask for it, but I didn't. Uh, the shower in that room was. Uh, a trickle, so that was a problem. But when I brought things up, uh, they were very, very helpful in trying to fix the problem. I would say that uh, in some of the places, the airflow, like the air conditioning, is not really very strong. So there's that piece. Um, like I said, th some things are done on their own time. Most of the hotels I stayed at had a breakfast that you could get, and. Uh, but it, it, the breakfast was supposed to open at like 6 o'clock, and then 6.45, they're just getting ready to serve it. So logistically, um, in your travels, I know you've encountered different experiences where uh, sometimes it's cash, sometimes it's credit card. What uh, Cash is king. Thank you for asking that. Yes. And um, then you also encountered even there where uh, the nearest ATM was 25 miles away. What's just the... A little bit of the infrastructure as far as... Uh, as far as getting money. So yeah. Algeria is unique in that, I mean, in the cities and stuff, you can get uh, ATMs. But what's unique there is uh, the rate of, that they have a black market for um, uh, exchanging money that 
you can get better rates for uh, exchanges. Ah. I, and I'm, I'm not encouraging that. I actually uh, exchange money um, through uh, a person with the travel agency. They helped me find a agency to exchange money and I could get the same rate that was on the uh, XE uh, currency converter that you know that's that app that or that website that you can check to see what current rates are uh, exchange rates and so I felt that was a pretty that was a fair exchange rate and certainly better than you'd get at a bank so when you first arrive you you, you get off an airplane and then uh, um, do you have you preset up like the logistics of getting from the airport is, is, yes is, I like to do that I like to make sure I have my ride situation figured out ahead of time um, so I had, in this case, I had someone give me a ride. I've, I've landed in places where you can get a prepaid taxi or I've paid a couple dollars extra and had a shuttle uh, or a, a tax or a ride service come pick me up. You can get, uh, in Algeria, um, you can, if you get into a taxi, you should negotiate the rate first and at least have a sense of how much you're going to pay, and it's not going to be the exact same because it'll depend on what time of day or evening you get in. If it's rush hour, if it's at night, you're going to pay more, yeah. um, for example. So you should also, ha if you're going to do that, you should have uh, some, it's ideal if you have a little bit of a command of French because, I mean, you can use a translation app, but I think if they think that you know more French, then uh, they'll maybe not try to mess with you as much. <laughs> yeah. Um, they also do have a ride app service called Yassir, Y-A-S-S-I-R, and you can use that. Um, but you would pay in cash instead of uh, on a credit card. Okay. So uh, um, if you were to go back to Algeria, are there things you didn't do that would be first on your list to, that you'd still like to experience? And equally important, are there things that you would like to do again? From what you experienced, you know there were a couple. There are a couple places I would go that I would go to to check out. I might want to go more in the east in the mountains uh, just to see and explore that a little bit. Um, there's another part of the desert that I didn't get to explore uh, around Timimoun that has some interesting architecture that looked interesting. I think if there, if I were to do my trip again, I might have spent a third night maybe a third or fourth night in Tassili, even though, um, you know, I, I I don't know if I'm much of a camper, not like I was when I was in my 20s, but, you know, that was a unique place. I would consider that. I mean, just getting around, you said it was three times the state of Texas. I'm, I, I've been to Texas. I've driven across Texas. I've been to Texas. Texas isn't there. little, and if this is three that. times bigger, how were you getting around? Everything was by vehicle? Um, no, so I flew a lot. So, oh, okay. so you probably know that Algeria is one of uh, the 12 or 13 OPEC countries, so uh, lots of oil and gas assets, and so flights are relatively cheap. They do have a train, however, um, it was not really uh, in service uh, and you couldn't get much information about when it might be running or where it was going. <laughs> where it was going. Yeah. I think I'm getting on that train. <laughs> yeah, that was, yeah. That was on what the schedule say. Arrives Algerian time. Yeah. That's the one. <laughs> Arrives when we get there. Yeah. To sit down. Pretty much. I'd like to go back before we wrap it up a little bit and just I know you talked about being in the Mediterranean area. Uh, you know, here we're used to, you know, our coasts are generally pretty populated with a lot of touristy stuff and a bunch of other things. Uh, if we look in places like Florida, a little more rugged as you and I know from like Oregon and uh, Washington, give us a sense of what the coasts where you were are like in Algeria. The water is clear and very beautiful, and there are beaches where uh, people can uh, obviously access, including women. Uh, women's rights are they are uh, improving in Algeria, where I think 10, 15 years ago uh, it was not good for a woman to uh, go to the beach, or at least certainly not unaccompanied, but. You know, there are some women who wear bathing suits. There are some who prefer to be covered up, which to me is antithetical, but it's not my place to, I'm not judging someone's choice. And Oran, which is in the northwest 
part of Algeria that's close to Spain, and that's really a city that I think is kind of more of a good description of where Algeria meets Europe. There, they have beaches outside of that place where uh, you have a lot more people going to the beach. I don't know if they have something like a nude beach or anything like that. I didn't ask. That's not my jam. But uh, there are sandy beaches and places where people can swim in the ocean, and that they do. They do that even out Algiers. And is there a lot of like just touristy type things built up along the water, like restaurants and? There are some. Uh, in fact, uh, one thing I didn't talk about with my trip is. Uh, there, there are at least three or four Roman ruins in uh, Algeria. One of them is Tapasa, which is right on uh, the Mediterranean, and uh, I, which and it's beautiful. The, the scenery is just incredibly beautiful. And a friend of mine commented that they wondered if Rome made a point of count of uh, setting up uh, town, setting up towns and such in places that were incredibly beautiful. Tapasa would be. I don't know if their ruins were as spectacular as some others, but the setting is incredible. And I did have an opportunity to try some seafood. The swordfish was fantastic. The, the tuna was really good too. When you give us a sense of like what you saw that made it so beautiful, or what were, could you paint a little bit of a word picture? Well, you had clear skies, you had 70 something degree weather, the water was clear with shades of green and teal and turquoise. Uh, There's surrounding hills that are covered with trees. Um, Sounds beautiful. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Any last thoughts on Algeria? Uh, I just thought I would just share a couple things on the Roman ruins since there are people who uh, find that kind of interesting. I also went to uh, Jamila, uh, which is in the mountains. It was a, a place, there was an example of where Rome had uh, made a mountain town. And I also went to um, Tim God, which was a retirement uh, place for uh, ex-military uh, made by Rome. I mean, the Roman ruins were very beautiful there, but for me what was spectacular is the mosaic art. They had each had a museum that had floor to ceiling, uh, and, and I'm talking about 25 feet tall, maybe 15, 20 feet wide mosaics of, you've got, you had different gods, uh, also, you know, you have the patterned borders that were just jaw-breaking, jaw, not jaw-breaking, <laughs> jaw-dropping. I was going to say breathtaking, then I said jaw-dropping, and so then I had jaw-breaking. That's a little bit of a different uh, thing. But anyway, so that was, that was incredible to see. And I think that if you had something comparable to those in Europe, those would be much more populated with tourists than they were in Algeria. So every time I hear people talk about, like, Roman ruins and stuff, like, uh, give me a sense. Is it... Like, just little snapshots like that, like the uh, mosaics, or is there like actual partial buildings and things standing still that you can walk around? It really depends. Uh, there are there are ruins, for example, that have like completed arches. You've got uh, places where you've got uh, the temples to various gods that are still partially standing. You've got, uh, for example, uh, one thing that I had learned uh, on a previous Roman rune uh, tour is in these little communities, the uh, common everyday uh, people, they didn't have singular outhouses. They had communal outhouses where people would sit next to each other and do their business. And then um, they had uh, trenches underneath where the water would flush uh, uh, sewage outside of the town. But um, so you have those communal areas. You have uh, sometimes uh, some of the ruins of houses are still sort of intact. But it, you know, and how much has been able to stand the wet, the uh, winds of the uh, sands of time and winds of time are pretty incredible. Like some of the uh, roads, the rocks are still. Uh, you know, you're thinking you're walk, walking on the rocks that people walked on, or you can see the grooves where the chariots went. 
So on that that point, you just said you can walk on some of these rocks. Like, obviously, since I don't see, I'm always curious how close to a lot of the stuff can you get? Can you touch any of it, or is it just... some of it you can touch? Like, for example, they had an area at Tim God where it was basically the little shops, and one place you could uh, you could go underneath one of the uh, counters and stand behind that. I, I have a picture of me doing that where, and they have. Uh, in the corner of each of these shops, uh, a little icon showing what kind of a shop it was. Like, for example, grapes would be wine. Um, okay. Yeah. And so what, what, what were you selling from behind the counter you went to, if you know? I don't remember. So you, you actually ducked under the counter and yes. were like standing. Was there a roof over your head still? No, 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 there was not. That That's pretty amazing, though, to think about you were standing there where, you know, Hundreds of years ago, someone stood in the same spot. Yeah. yeah, thousands of years ago, someone was peddling some junk from that very spot. So, it sounds like Algeria, would you go back again? Yes, I, I would. I, I thought it was a very nice place to visit. I felt very safe and very comfortable. And some people questioned the safety because there had been a civil war I think 30 years ago, and then there was some issues like in the, like 2000, was it 2000? No, 2019, there were some protests over an election, but it's, it's very safe. And like I said, people are friendly and yeah, I had a, I had a good time. I had a great time and I would go back. Well, thanks for sharing your memories of Algeria and your travel adventure with uh, the podcast to be named later and our listeners. Thank you again for having me come and talk about Algeria and talk about travel, which is a topic that I'm very passionate about. And uh, Chris, as always, it's great to have you around the table. And Craig, it's great, uh, even under these circumstances, it's always nice to spend time uh, with you guys in the same physical space. Yes, thank you very much. Yeah. Thanks, everyone, and thanks for spending time with us on this edition of the podcast to be named later.